In the words of the legendary Lou Gellerman, hello, dog fans, and welcome to the Sound the Siren podcast, because everything matters, including a 9-2 and two and 1-0 and oh in the conference Husky women's basketball team. So let we're here to talk Husky basketball in part one. We're going to dive deep uh, with our resident expert, UW Leah, on all things going on with the women's basketball program and a couple of other topics. Uh, Leah, how are you doing this evening? Doing great. Just prepping for Christmas and last night's a Hanukkah and, you know, getting ready for hopefully a really good season of Husky women's basketball. Yeah, so far so good on that front. Um, we do, we'll briefly, uh, any beverages this evening? Claws, wines, waters? <laughs> you know what, I'm I, I'm taking a little hiatus from anything beverage-wise because I just had some ramen, but I'm also just like... Totally shout out fair. to football, uh, you know, reeling off of a really great recruiting class. Uh, shout out Kaylin DeBoer. And also, you know, um, reeling off of Dan, really, uh, sorry, Dan Landing Cigar. So um, that's actually my screen name tonight. So yeah, because that, that, that's not going to come back to haunt them at all. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing uh, comes back to haunt them, that team down south. We're, we're, we're still uh, we're still cashing receipts from this season and we're going to cash some more next year. That's my prediction. Yes. Um, I do want to call out it, you know, in honor of our uh, one of our traditional segments. I do want to call out a stupid tweet. Um, and this uh, coincidentally from speaking of that team down south and that program and those people uh, going back to November 12th. Uh, Coach Kelly Graves uh, at Godux KG responding to Sabrina Ionescu saying, "Ah, y'all's first win since 2017 regarding Kelsey's tweet about the football team. Uh, And Kelly chimed in and said, and sad, we haven't lost to them in hoops since we knocked knocked out, you know, who in her last Pac-12 game, uh, to which I think I chimed in at the time, but it's also, hey, coach, uh, number one, you're down to nine scholarship athletes on your team, so things are going real well for you. But, and again, as we talked about at length in previous episodes, talking about the women's basketball program, Jody Wynn was the statistically worst Husky women's basketball coach ever. So congrats on your unblemished record there. Uh, Something tells me that might change probably some, hopefully sometime soon. Sometime soon. It's also worth noting that Kelly Graves was out um, to the media and publicly said how great of a job he thought Jody Wynn was doing at Washington which basically directly affects him in a positive way. If she stays at Washington, he can continue to dominate not only recruiting, but uh, head-to-head matchups against Washington. So um, no love lost in that rea- in that area. And also, you know what? You win with class and you lose with class. Neither one Oregon is capable of doing. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, we'll switch the topics because I think it's a, that's a great segue to talk about recruiting, okay. specific to women's basketball. We were going to talk about the state of the conference, yeah. which we'll get we'll, we'll circle yeah. back to. Um, but speaking of winning with class, recruiting with class, um, and resources, and uh, it does bear mentioning at this point in time that you look at the top twenty classes in the country uh, signed, and uh, two spots ahead of that program down south is. The Washington Huskies with their second consecutive top 20 class in the country. Uh, four players signed in this class. Uh, looks like two point guards. Savia uh, Sellers, number 28 overall from Anchorage. Uh, another point guard, Ari Long, uh, who ESPN calls one of the best shooters in the class. 
uh, a guard with some flair to the, her game, according to ESPN. That's Chloe Briggs uh, and a 6'6 center from uh, Ellensburg, Olivia Anderson. Uh, Leah, I know you've watched the tape. Uh, what do you think of the class that uh, uh, Coach Langley and company have uh, have brought in this year? Yeah, I think it really speaks to Tina's desire to play positionless basketball. And that being that for the most part, everyone can handle the ball. Everyone's expected to give effort in boxing out and rebounding and everyone can hit the three. And I think she's recruiting in that way for the most part. Um, Savia Sellers is really a natural point guard kind of her film reminds me a lot of Jazz Davis who graduated about 10 years ago from UW, um, kind of undersized. That hurts, that hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> it's so cold. Savia is um, a highly touted recruit. Her dream was to play at South Carolina, and she was getting recruited by a lot of teams in the conference. Um, and she's from Anchorage, so she's pretty much playing as close to home in the contingent 48 as she can possibly do. And she's going to be able to play a lot because – while we, we look like we have a point guard of the future in Hannah Steins, there's, it's never a bad thing to have more than one on the court. She's really cat quick, loves physical contact, and um, I think fans are really going to like how fast she is and kind of a, her the moxie that she plays with. She's got a little bit of an attitude, and we love that on Montlake. Somebody who can play defense, get down the floor, find open teammates, and finish in contact. I mean, That's... memory serves going back to Jazz Davis. It, it seems to me that the era that Jazz was at Washington and having two point guards on the court at the same time with yeah. somebody named, I, I think, Kelsey, Kelsey something. Something. A WNBA Olympic champion, something like that. Uh, you know, all-star MVP. Not sure. She's um, pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, you know, those teams were, you know, just okay. You know, didn't really didn't really set any, you know, program marks for, you know, how far they went in the tournament or or anything like that. Sure. So moving on to the next kid, Ari Long is out of California. She, she's a a really long, so she's very like aptly named. She's got a really good wingspan, quick release. Um, She probably can play the point, but from what I've seen, she's much more of a two, three combo guard. And I think she's pushing six feet. She's around this uh, 5'11 to 6'1. So she's kind of going to fill probably the, a role of a Haley Van Dyke type of sized player with a little bit uh, higher percentage of, of three-point range. Um, really quick release. A lot of people wanted this kid. And she seems like she's a really good culture fit because I believe she played uh, club ball with both El Ladine and Hannah Steins. So really, really good natural fit here for her. Um, next up awesome. is Chloe, Chloe Briggs. What she basically, I believe she was between Stanford and Washington, which kind of shows how good she is. If Stanford wants you and you don't choose Stanford, you're going to choose somebody else within the Pac-12. Turning down the Stanford piece of paper is a big deal. And it's a really big deal to turn down Stanford women's basketball. She, she must've believed that she's going to play here. And I've seen her, She's really a gifted guard in every sense of the way. Like she's got great handles. She's got a a really nice pull-up jumper. The likes of Kelsey Plum would be very impressed with. She's a big guard. She's probably uh, Hannah Stein's size around 5'10", 5'11". Really good um, passing skills. If you look at her tape, she's got a lot of uh, trick passes behind the back. Um, really wants to find her open teammate. She's a really uh, a natural 
point guard in the sense that she really wants she it seems like she takes a lot of pride in finding her teammates wide open and getting them good looks and also hitting down her shots when it's her turn so um that that's going to flow really nicely with our offense and having having kids who are able to uh look for their own shot but also involve teammates is really the culture that tina's trying to build so it's going to work really well for us um, and then rounding it out is Olivia Anderson, and she is six six from Ellensburg. She was getting a lot of looks nationally just because of her size, and um, I think most post players, particularly most over six foot three, tend to come in needing some work because being a post player, being an effective post player in a big time conference, is really difficult to do. So expect her to probably play backup minutes to Delia Daniels next year. But um, expect her role to start as primarily defensive and for rebounding purposes and for some muscle to uh, be a defensive force to start. And then as she gets more comfortable, I'd ex- I fully expect under the coaching of both Tina Langley and Katie Faulkner for her to really shine in the coaching that we're getting at this program. Yeah, you can't certainly can't teach size. Uh, certainly got to love the in-state recruiting wins, um, all sorts of good things there to switch gears slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, we did want to talk about a little bit of, I think, uh, warning bells that went off for both of us. And, and I think with the broader, uh, podcast group and, and honestly uh, with Husky Twitter in general, with, um, a little bit of the warning bells with Keegan Cook's departure from the volleyball program to Minnesota, uh, to, my thought briefly is that this is really a big indication that as the university of Washington needs to get into the big 10 conference as fast as possible, because on an, if the conferences were on an equal footing, there's no one, no way in hell you leave Washington for Minnesota. Yes. It's a, a power, you know, it's a, a, a program in a big city in a big conference, but academics, economy, all of the things that we tout in many, many ways and starting to come to fruition in terms of, you know, name, image, and likeness possibilities. Who, who, who thought that might be a possibility based on the strength of Seattle economy? Right. Great, crazy people. Um, that's a big, that's a big area of concern, but what do you think? Yeah. I think anytime we're getting um, one of our, primary female sports our head coaches poached by another program it's problematic and um it's just it's frustrating as a fan to watch that because more and more um and hooligan you can talk about this as well it's becoming like the pac-12 as an afterthought in every sport um you know we complain constantly about the officiating in every sport and our former radio guy steve sandmeyer said and steve sandmeyer is an amazing analyst and also he was the women's basketball play-by-play guy and he said like as much as you think that officiating is bad in football and bad in men's basketball and hands down it is where it is at its worst is in women's athletics and if you watch it you just want to tear out your hair so like it goes back to we need all of this we need polishing in our conference there's so many things that need fixing and our tv contract particularly with football buries us that like we are going to have a potentially for sure a top 10, potentially even a top five football program next year. And if we're stuck with seven thirty kickoffs next year, all the, all year long, all yeah, all season long, no one's going to watch us. And the PAC 12 after dark 
is a way for them to basically nationally laugh at us because it's it, we're basically playing the clown for the entire country to laugh we've, at. We've, it's become akin to like they were talking about. I, I think there was an article I saw. I think you probably saw the same article where they were made reference to Pactful After Dark and Maction. Like, and yeah, being yeah, a the Pac-12, the quote-unquote Conference of Champions, and when you look across the entire sports landscape, it absolutely is being mentioned. You know, and, and the MAC is not a bad conference. No, this is no shade speaking. to the MAC. It's, it's no, not, shade. no shade to the MAC. But the West Coast isn't an afterthought. It's not, and, you know, no disrespect to our new point guards, home, you know, home state. Um, we're not some outpost nigh on to Russia. This isn't Alaska, Idaho, and Mont- Montana and Wyoming in terms of populations and, you know, metropolitan areas. This is, um, I mean, California is the biggest, as one is in a, a top five economy in the world if it was its own separate nation. <laughs> um, let's, this is Seattle. This is Portland. This is Phoenix, you know, mm-hmm. which is a top. There are, in this conference right now, there are at least four top 15 media markets in the country mm-hmm. and we're an afterthought and a laughing stock. Um, that's just it's really difficult to watch knowing that like, and this is me advocating for the entire conference, even that team down South, we know Absolutely. that we're watching. And if like, if our athletic department and our president on our university president, Oregon's university president got a line and said, listen, we, the two of us our two schools have so much to offer and we need to go to a place where the visibility is going to be treated like it matters because right now like just for an example Washington Oregon played Utah and that was a huge game it was after I think our Colorado game and that kicked off at like 8 p.m on a Saturday that was a giant game to me it's like there's no excuse for that the number of games that were like that this year that were huge in the impact and like the games that were in Earlier time slots, and I get that there's an argument to be made for, oh, you don't want to go again, you know, if it's the last SEC kick versus the first Pac-12 kick, of course. Sure. But there's, but let's, let's not beat around the bush with no disrespect to the Big Ten, the programs in the Big Ten that are current, that have a national, hey, people want to kind of know what happened or would like, hey, randomly are actively going to tune into that game, Michigan and Ohio State. Penn State. Uh, Penn State. Maybe Purdue. No, probably Michigan State would be four, in my opinion. Okay. Maybe your fifth Purdue. Maybe your fifth. Yeah, maybe your fifth. I mean, and, and, and each of those schools have big-time followings, and it's no disrespect to those universities. But it is not, like, head-to-head, you're going to put the – oh, Wisconsin's also up there. Wisconsin. But, I mean, like, uh, to your point that, like – you're saying Second, that, that you the, national, the national message is that the Pac-12 is garbage and they're like the worst power five. I'm like, okay, I see you. And that at the same time, here's a list of the, the Pac-12 teams that are currently ranked. Southern California, Utah, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, Oregon State. So mm-hmm. yeah, telling me that it's irre- irrelevant and then also listing six teams that are ranked. That are ranked in the top 25. Right. I mean, like, obviously, Washington State did not help us by getting completely curb stomped by Fresno State. Um, shouts to you, Jay Kaner. That was... Shouts to Jay Kaner. Cheers to you. Apple calling it his Once own... Once a dog, always a dog. But also, I mean, like, shouts to Washington State because they lost to Fresno North and Fresno State in back-to-back games. So, 
that worked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and... I'll just say that like Washington State did not help the conference by losing that game. However, sure. like, Oregon State absolutely annihilated the mighty SEC um, in Florida, who just acted completely dis- disinterested. So it's going to be on the Pac-12 to just like market themselves, but it's really on the university president at Washington and Oregon to unite and say like, listen, we have Washington has the academics, Oregon has the marketing. Together, Oregon we has should- Nike. <laughs> have Uncle Phil's cash. Together, we should be able to unite and get into a better conference. Although, I, 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 the one thing that I will say, in, in defense of the Florida Gators, they were about as disinterested in uh, stopping Oregon State as the, the Duck defense was in the second half. So, you know, goes around, comes around, I guess. But, but that does also beg the question, Utah, what the F were you doing <laughs> to start the year? I know. And also, Utah lost to Oregon who had a one-legged quarterback. So, I mean, I'm still annoyed with them for the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. And and I will say also shouts to, you know, this isn't a a football, you know, heavy (laughs) episode of clearly, Um, but shouts to all the SEC fans that are like, Oh, you guys were lucky. You guys didn't have to play Caleb Williams this year. And I'm like, um, uh, your secondary got torched by an average passing game from Utah. What do you think one of the best ones in the country was going to do to you? You're going to see next season. Good luck with that. Uh, anyway, uh, so yes, uh, Big it's Ten, just, please. Yeah, we need to, we need to keep making that push because, like I said, like we, it really feels like um, we're stuck with really terrible officiating and time slots that are not um, they're not marketing our best teams. They're really, I mean, they're not even marketing USC very well. If that makes mm-hmm. it like it doesn't make it any better, but it's just like that's the team that everyone's drooling over and they're not even marketing them very well. So Correct. no one wants, they're, they're trying to, you know, make a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, Oh, well, no one watches your game. Like, well, yeah, no one will watch our game. If you kick us off at eight, eight o'clock every single time. You're right. So mm-hmm. anyway. absolutely. Uh, because it's not just about the diehard fans, like a, you know, a Husky fan or like regardless of the conference, a fan or an alum of the program is going to watch that team over everything else. But it's the, the fans that are like, okay, my team's already played. Who right. do I want to watch? Right. At four o'clock in the evening or seven o'clock in the evening, they're going to want to watch Washington or Oregon, not Cal versus Arizona. Right. Like, and and to be honest, like, unless you are a Washington alum, you're not staying up to finish watching Washington play if they're kicking mm-hmm. off at eleven p.m. local time. Correct. So. Correct. Uh, moving it back to women's basketball, yeah. certainly want uh, as we mentioned in the open. Uh, nine and two to start the year. What what have you seen so far? What what have you been impressed by? Uh, Any um, areas of concern? Yeah, um, both actually. Um, the team is really has has a high upside. If anyone caught the women's apple cup in Seattle, um, the Huskies played the best game that I've seen them play in years. And I watch most of their games live in person. They played. Um, Pretty good defense. Charlize Ledger Walker is an amazing player, and she went off for 40 points. Outside of that, Washington State scored 26 points. And in the second half particularly, they I think they scored 11 or 12 points outside of Charlize. So Washington played pretty well defensively, and they had contributions up and down the, you know, the, the box score. Haley Van Dyke, Delia Daniels, uh, Trinity Oliver had her best game as a Husky, so did Lauren Schwartz. Lauren Schwartz hits, uh, hit five threes, um, but it was just everyone coming in and knowing their role and doing what it took 
to have the best offensive output. Um, to give it a little color, last year it took um, until February and for me to be outside of the country for Washington to get their first conference win. And they're starting off 1-0 and for the first time since Kelsey Plum was a senior. So it's been a while. This this team, this program is entirely capable of doing really awesome things. It made me feel confident and excited and fired up for um, just taking the next step in conference play, which is to, you know, they're going to probably be in the, in the lower, the, the bottom third of the conference. And the first step to getting out of that is beating everyone in the bottom third. I do still believe that they're very capable of that. They should, they're only playing Cal once they should beat Cal. Um, they should, they should probably beat uh, Arizona state at least once Arizona state's got a new coach. Um, USC is always something, a game that they're capable of winning. Um, they, they could certainly beat Washington state again. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's I'm likely, sure. but they could, they could, they could beat uh, an Oregon school. The only teams that I feel like the Huskies are not capable of beating this year would be Stanford who's number two in the country. Um, Utah who's surging and, and very well coached and has a lot of offensive weapons and is also still very good defensively. And UCLA went to South Carolina and lost by eight points. Uh, UCLA is a team that's going to be reckoned with, and they've got a really good new point guard, true freshman named Kiki Rice, and she's going to be must-see TV. Um, so I think that it's going to be one, two, three, Stanford, Utah, UCLA. After that, I think it's going to be a, fun, a thumb war to see who can get in that fourth spot and get a bye for the first uh, day of the Pac-12 conference tournament. But um, teams that are capable of hitting that, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State, um, Arizona, but they're all kind of in that middle area of like it just depends what, on who shows up. Yeah, what the uh, what the NHL would call kind of that mushy middle where it's yeah any given day. This yeah. one of these teams, you know, can lose to a, a team on the bottom. Really? Could could beat a team on the top uh, in that top yep. top end of things. So that is, you asked for like the, the negatives of the team. So the Huskies played an amazing game, uh, I think two weeks ago, uh, this coming Sunday, and they played Washington State. They beat them by 16. Their very next game in the Husky Classic, they played Liberty, and they played as as polar opposite of a game as I could have possibly imagined. They had they lacked energy. They It seemed like they lacked desire. They certainly lacked perimeter defense. And they, they allowed themselves to get beaten by more than 10 points by – um, a team that had never beaten a Pac-12 school. And you just can't do that if you're going to try to take strides to being better in the Pac-12 conference. That's a team that, on paper, Washington should win every single time, especially at Heckhead. So I left that game feeling pretty frustrated considering what I know that they're capable of. They were capable of beating Washington State, who two years in a row has made the NCAA tournament. If, if you're capable of beating Washington State, you should beat Liberty by 10 or more points. And instead they don't have Katie going way going into the way back machine. They don't have a six, eight post named Katie Feenstra. Um, I might be losing power. Uh, hold on. So yeah, and not certainly an unfortunate loss uh, to Liberty, but certainly to, to kind of do, we, we talked about it a little bit, but wanted to see kind of what you think, how the conference overall will shake out where you think Washington yeah will finish or you know if you want to go bottom up and yeah. who finishes last to to first who who finishes first going going the other way yeah dealer's choice 
I will dealer's choice. I'm going to start from the top. It seems like an easier answer. And de facto, uh, class of the conference, uh, basically, you, you pencil them in no matter what. Uh, Stanford's number one. They're number two in the country. I do see some weaknesses in their team, and I would be really surprised if they made the Final Four this year unless they improved quite a lot. Um, they, they're they really strong at post, but uh, kind of the, the story of Stanford for the past 10 to 15 years is that they're actually not very strong at guard. They have a they have a point guard who is a true freshman and she's really good at at, at, at assists, not so good at scoring. Um, Hannah Jump always able to hit the three, but beyond that, not sure what she's really able to do. And you know, really got some strong post play. Uh, Haley Jones is good. Cameron Brink is a, is a stud. So we'll see. They're they're number two in the country. They're they're going to win the conference very, most likely, but anything can happen. Especially when like I think Utah really made a push last year. They got. Um, a couple of really good kids out of Minnesota. And then they uh, landed an in-conference transfer, Alyssa Peely from USC. And she was really quite evidently very poorly coached at USC, which is kind of a trademark of their program in any sport. Um, And she... Cheers to you, fight on Rusty. (laughs) So... She's doing really great over at Utah. She is being set up for success. There's a lot of depth at that at, uh, in her position at that school. So uh, they, I think they beat Oklahoma by something like 55 points in Utah. And at that point, you, Oklahoma was in the top 15. So after that, Utah has been in the top 15 consistently and very, very much deservedly so. After that, it looks like UCLA has got a lot of experience combined with pretty good coaching and um, health for the first time in over a year. They went to South Carolina, like I said, and only lost by under 10 South Carolina is the defending national champion and odds on uh, favorite to repeat. So if you can do that at South Carolina, I, I, you've earned my respect. So that's the top three outside of that. I I'd probably give it to Arizona. They've got a lot of experience and they're pretty well coached. Um, they've got a lot of turnover. They've got a lot of transfers, some uh, probably one year players who are playing out their, uh, their very final year over at Arizona. So there's a lot of, you, you don't, they've never played in the PAC 12. So I don't know kind of what to expect, but Kate Reese is a senior. They've got some other players around her who have been there for a while. So I'd give them the fourth spot outside of that, probably go with Oregon at number five. They they only have nine players on their roster right now to Hulgan's point. So if you know they get in foul trouble in a game or God forbid they have um, an ACL injury or something like that, things could go south very quickly for the Ducks and Kelly Graves. So, um, you know, obviously you don't wish, wish that on anyone, but like it's kind of a not. A I wouldn't wish an injury on their players, I, but unfortunate circumstances for Kelly Graves, I, I have no qualms about wishing yeah. that. Or like, if that happens, I'm not going to say, oh, that's really too bad. His behavior is really like, in the scheme of things, like I I think they were a very, very, um, had a great chance to win the national title in the COVID year. Um, in hindsight, based on his attitude and, and certainly kind of carrying over from what he was at Gonzaga, I'm like, hmm. kind of, yeah, it doesn't bother too bad, me. Too sad. Bye-bye. We'll see. I mean, they're somebody that if they play well, 
they could probably beat anyone. And if they don't play well, anyone could beat them because they're not very deep. Um, and I don't, I'm not super convinced at how coach, how well coached they are because good players are going to play well, but unless they're well coached, they're not going to necessarily play their best game every single night. Even, even the best players don't aren't capable of doing that every night, but there's a lot of yo-yo play going on over at in Eugene. Uh, outside of that, I put Oregon number five, number six, I think is a battle between Oregon state and Washington state. Um, Washington state has a lot of experience and they've got a really fiery head coach who gets a lot, who gets a, a good amount out of her players. Um, unless I guess they were playing Washington last, you know, this month. Um, they had a, they had a case of just most, most of their players just really have not having a good shooting night and that's going to happen occasionally, but uh, they have, one of the better scoring guards in the, in the conference, if not the country in Charlize Ledger Walker. Um, but they don't have a lot of depth at post and Oregon state does. Oregon state is also very talented. They have much more of a multifaceted talent on their roster. So I'd probably give number six spot to Oregon state, number seven to Washington state outside of that. Um, probably Colorado, Colorado is, has a really good record right now. But um, I think they could finish as high as probably fifth is my guess. They have a lot of talent on their team. I do think it's kind of a grudge match for Washington because not only do they have Tamia Sadler and Quay Miller on their roster, they also have Jody Wynn's oldest child. So uh, I really like to beat Colorado um, in a couple of days. Really, really please. And thank you. Um, So, they're probably it's just really going to depend on can the younger players deliver can their players stay out of foul trouble um and are they able to defend as well as other teams in the conference i haven't seen that yet but i've also only really watched them play utah so it'll be interesting i i like someone's got to be picked eighth that's where i'm picking them um i'm going to be a little bit of a dude right now and i'm going to be I'm going to be hopeful that the Huskies finish ninth, which would, I think last year, if I'm not mistaken, they finished 11th, right? Hooligan or did they finish 12th? I can't remember. They had two conference wins. Like it was 11th or 12th. So if they finish, if they finish ninth, that means that they're the best of the bottom third. And that's in year two, that's probably as best as I could hope for. Um, They're certainly capable of beating anyone in in that bottom third, and most teams in the middle third, actually, if they play their best, if they feel like Liberty, they'll beat no one. That's the reality. You have to play your best because everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to win these games. So you have to play your best. I do think the Huskies should should finish eighth. No, sorry, not eighth. They, they could finish eighth, but probably ninth. Um, after that, who haven't I said? I'm going to say... USC. USC is a roster full of talent. Um, <laughs> there's no excuse with the talent they have not to finish in the top six, but it's USC and it's a women's program at USC. So they don't, expectations don't really exist. They, you know, they have a women's program and that should be good enough and, and for the women of Troy. So um, they have a lot of, a lot of roster talent. Like a, a, they have a kid who's six foot four and plays guard. Oh. 
Keep going. I will. I'll stitch it together as best okay. I can. Perfect. I'm, just I'm weather go. cursed tonight. What? <laughs> I'm weather cursed, and then like my Chromebook uh, said, "Oh, okay. I'm gonna have problems." We'll try to wrap it up. I'm just saying, uh, USC is incredibly talented. They should finish higher than they're. Than I'm gonna tell them that, or I'm gonna predict that they're gonna finish, but they're just not as well coached as they should be. After that, um, I'm gonna say Arizona State. Uh, they have some talent. They've had a lot of turnover. They've got a new coaching staff and a lot of new players. And so the only reason I'm putting them at 11th is because I don't know. I actually haven't seen them play. They've kind of been middle of the bar as far as their record goes so far. And um, I don't know. They could they could finish really well. But because I don't know and because there's so many new players on the team, it's just really hard to judge. So I'm going to give them 11th. And 12th, I believe this is going to be Sherman Smith's last year at California. Um, they have, again, a lot of talent. They have one of the best scoring guards in the the conference, if not the country in Curry, and they are just not able to stitch together wins. And she, Charmin Smith's been at California for quite some time, certainly long enough to be able to expect your team to put together more than they're, they're currently capable of. So they're definitely going to be 12th for me. Well, well uh, here, here's hope. I mean, I, uh, I I will be interested to see Arizona State play and see if they uh, hopefully stop, have stopped playing defense the way they did for decades on end under under Charlie. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how uh, that the bottom third and that middle third of the conference shakes out. I think that, um, but but certainly appreciate all of your insights. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this uh, and apologies to our listeners uh, for any uh, weird cuts or audio issues or things that that's weird audio issues in this episode. Uh, I had the power go out in the snow um, and and the snow and a, you know, freezing rain. It's all sorts of weather related fun (laughs) in Washington right now, but any final thoughts, Leah, before we we call this one? Yeah. I mean, I really would love to see more people at the games because this team is really working hard. Even when like they don't play their best, they really respond to crowd noise. Um, you know, we got a, the player that Hooligan and I were most disappointed that Jody Wynn did not land when she was at Montlake, which was Delia Daniels. She's home now. She is every bit as good as advertised. Her footwork is fantastic. She's a great teammate and she tries really hard and she wants to win. It's Haley Van Dyke's last year. This is her sixth year in the program. She's been through an awful lot with the Jody Wynn era and a new coaching staff. Um, you know, we've got some really exciting freshmen. If you've had a chance to watch our two most uh, freshmen who get the most minutes, Elle Ladine and Hannah Steins. Hannah Steins is kind of uh, the first off the bench. She's a true point guard, really uh, looks for her open teammates has a pretty good looking three point shot if she can get her percentages up. And Elle Ladine is instant offense. She's going to be somebody that everyone's going to want to come to the to stadium to see play because she's just, she's so fast and has a lot of good ideas. They don't always pan out because she's a freshman. She makes a lot of mistakes, but she's also very joyful when she plays. She's very excited and she can put the ball in the hole. 
Um, and then the, the heartbeat of the team is Jada Noble. This is a kid who, for whatever reason, rode the bench a lot in the Dirty Win era. And basically, she is the motor that runs the whole team. She is incredibly athletic. She's averaging seven rebounds a game at five foot nine. And she just does everything that you could ever ask a student athlete to do when they're wearing purple and gold. And that's to dive on the, on the floor for loose balls, take charges, get the rebounds, find open teammates, hit your shots that you're available to hit and be your teammates biggest fan. That is who she is. And so my biggest plea to everyone out there listening is come watch the team play. Sometimes I'm going to give some tickets away. They're courtside seats. I promise you it's a lot of fun. And um, yeah, if you go cheer for the kids and uh, heckle the refs, that's all I can ask for. It's never been something anyone on this podcast has been known to do it all get after the refs a little bit. Nope. Even though, you know, speaking of an athletic department and, yeah, that we're trying to. Yeah, that's a long story. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> the number of times to, to Sandmeyer's point that we were admonished by our administration for yelling at the refs um, and like, hey, sit down, be quiet. I'm like, because we're the only people in the entire stadium that are yelling or saying something to the refs. We just happen to be a little closer because uh, we happen to, to know some of the players and be on their guest list for a while. And my voice carries. Imagine that. I mean, I will say that I have some, like there's a gentleman who sits in my section and he's an older man and he's very sweet. And he says to me, when he sees me sit down, he said, you know what? We miss you when you're not here. He is the only one in my section who has said that because I am absolutely, well, I'm the youngest person in the section by about 30 years. And I don't have problems getting to know the first names of the refs and harassing them when they make the predictably bad calls. So no apologies from me. Thanks for <laughs> listening, everybody. We'll be uh, stay tuned for part two. In the words of the legendary Lou Gellerman, hello, dog fans, and welcome to the Sound the Siren podcast. Because everything matters, including 11 win seasons, uh, seven wins in a row. Hey, Sark. <laughs> Alamo Bowl wins deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, and all things uh, are, are, are good vibes only, to, to quote uh, Eugenio Suarez right now with the Washington Husky football program. Uh, I am your host, Hooligan7, a.k.a. tonight, Beave. Oh, shit. Uh, joined at the moment by Hood Husky. Uh, remember the Alamo pause, normally known as the Darker Night DJK Woody. We may have uh, an appearance from J-Cap uh, once he gets back from, from dinner with the fam. How are you gentlemen all doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. Great. Just hop in here as you guys are starting. <laughs> good timing, big sir. Good timing. Perfect, perfect timing. All right. Well, I think we can move it right along to beverages of choice for the evening. Uh, Hood, we can start with you. Uh, anything uh, uh, Anything you're sipping on this evening? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You guys already know what I'm sipping on. Was it a New Year saying me? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> High quality H2O. <laughs> Got to do it. 
Nice, uh, darker night. How about you, sir? Yeah, same thing. My cold to thin. <laughs> nice little <laughs> refresh water. <laughs> uh, DJ, how about you? St- staying the same as them. Drinking some water nice. tonight. Uh, I'm on. Uh, uh, I was telling them in the pre-show. I'm on team. Uh, no fluids. Uh, I'm working with a nutritionist for the next uh, five to ten weeks, um, and she's uh, having me drink uh, 100 ounces of water a day. Uh, today was day one of that, so I'm in. Uh, in in the interest of not having to <laughs> give you guys the keep going, keep going signal, so that I can go to the bathroom every ten minutes. <laughs> I tapered it off. <laughs> yeah. How how was that? Is that pretty hard to get 100 ounces in? It's not that bad. Like I, um, in my back, you know, pre-pandemic when I was working in a hybrid setting, we had a really good filtered water system in the office that I worked in. So like every hour to every hour and a half, I'd be getting up to get 16 to 20 ounces of water. So it's something that I'm kind of used to. It's been a while since I drank that much. I try to get 64 anyway, but just uh, ramping it up a little bit, but but not too bad. Nice. It does keep me a little fuller, and so some of the <laughs> hey, I'm stomach's not quite full. Let me go get a snack. Uh, didn't happen today, so that's a good thing. Um, nice. There it is. I, I got to I got to admit, I'm embarrassed. I'm not ready for our next segment, or, or at least I didn't find anything in particular other than calling out anything. Uh, um, from the NCAA at fight on Rusty, uh, anytime he talked about how good a defensive coordinator Alex Grinch was, basically the entire count of Big Game Boomer. But let's do stupid tweets. Who's got some? All right. Well, I don't got one, just one, but I have an account that at least some of us are familiar with recently, last couple of days, uh, at Pack Fight, the CFB Fight Club oh. account. Uh man, he's had some pretty outrageous takes the last few days. And like I haven't seen him make outrageous takes before, so I don't know. He has some kind of a agenda against UW recently. Uh but yeah, he's basically just can't let go that UW lost to ASU. For some reason that makes you a terrible team or whatever without half whatever of our defense, by the way. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. And, and beating Texas. Since then? What's that? Yeah. What have we done since then? Won every game. Yeah. Uh, And, yeah, he's thinking – he thinks UW fans are sensitive and saying that UW finished fourth in the conference when the Pac-12 stand is otherwise. I don't know. It's just bad take after bad take that he won't let go. Yeah, because which team, if if the conference hadn't gotten rid of the North versus South – conference championship team which team again was would have gone to the conference championship game and who has a better offense than the one that torched usc oh my goodness we the easily i mean i'm going to say easily but we won the conference championship for sure mm-hmm. no we'd doubt have been in pa- we'd have been in pasadena for the last traditional rose bowl as opposed to the conference the 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 one of the newest teams in the conference uh who's building up a sterling uh record in Pasadena, so uh, <laughs> continue to be useless, you, you. Um, <laughs> useless. Oh, my goodness. Um, Hood, I know you got one. Do you have Do you have a tweet? Nah, I don't, man. I, I'll just say shout-out to uh, Brandon C., UW Opinions, who 
<laughs> I, I woke up this morning and he was ready for war. You know, I was getting added and all types of stuff this morning. You know, all his receipts going back Twitter to 2020, 2021. I was like, okay, okay. He's he's calling them out. He's digging. I, I stumbled upon a couple of my little projections and predictions. I got wrong and right and stuff. So it was kind of interesting too. But yeah, shout out to Brandon. See, I'll say that's a positive type type tweet. Yeah, that was great. And I don't I don't have any problem with people predicting that UW would be not that great or whatever because most people thought we'd probably win around seven games. I mean, I know some of you had us winning higher, but just some of the outrageous takes that some of the people he had that have retweeted today, Brandon did, those are amazing. Fly not, at the barbecue and those not guys. A, not, not a stupid tweet, but I'd say stupid results, man. Some of these people on these on this drip pole, man, y'all. Add oh, death row KP for some of the seasons. That's a popularity contest. That was not real. I don't think people got the. I don't think people got the assignment. Hey, shout out, shout out to KP for pulling the trigger on that, man. I had to give him a little steroid to boost to the butt for it, but you know what I'm saying. Hey, pause. But yeah, he. <laughs> I, I, I was I, like, I had, I, had to, I had to boost him up for that one, but. Them results, huh? I'm, I'm not, not too happy about. Yeah, well, well, now, now that all things are basically things are well and good in, in Husky Land, other than uh, men's basketball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shouts to you, Coach Hop. Not really. Um, but, uh, I think we got to get back into world. some fun bracketology over the summer, uh, that, that like we did a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, now that we don't have to stress about what the hell went wrong with the 2020. Uh, one season um but uh should, what do you guys want to do do we want to talk recruiting signing day and transfer portal first and then recap the alamo bowl or do we want to talk about the game and then go back to recruiting and signing day let's do let's do the game first let's do the game first right. and then and then talk about the off the field yeah good call uh certainly what i would say my brief uh, sentiment was just it was certainly not the best or most seamless performance that we've seen from the offense. Um, but I actually take a lot of confidence. If, if you look at that game as game zero for next year, we beat a good team. Uh, the number six total team. Yes, I know they had some opt outs, <laughs> uh, but that is still an exceptionally talented football team. Uh, mm-hmm. Going into the year, they were the number six total in order. They were number six in total team composite. Um, we didn't play our best game, at least certainly not on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but basically controlled things most of, if not the entire game and one ugly against, uh, I'm sorry, as much as we can look back at the Oregon state game, we, that we kind of won ugly. Texas is a better football team than Oregon state, or is, is certainly a more talented yeah, football team that. than Oregon yeah. state. Um, and we were able to win an ugly game. So that, that definitely gives me a huge amount of confidence, uh, going into next year. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think that uh, they were a better team than their record showed. I think the metrics, a lot of the metrics had them like top 10. I mean, I don't know if I'll say they're top 10 team, but I'll say definitely around top 15 range. I, I would thought with talent-wise. Uh, yeah, I mean, Coach K <clears throat> had the boys ready to come and play on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we... Exceptional play normal. in the secondary. Yeah, yeah. We, we couldn't do our normal things that we normally do, but I, I like they were able to switch things up and get the run game going with when our pass wasn't working. And yeah, I mean, it's always, always good to be a blue blood like Texas, even if they're not, especially as, in their home know, state. 
Oh yeah, it's pretty. It was it was a Seventy-five percent <laughs> of the crowd, it, it were you know for cheering for Burn Orange. Uh, I know. Hey, I, I'm confident though. It would it would have been less if the flights weren't outrageous. A thousand dollars a ticket oh, to, and like all the cancellations. Shout out to end. you, Southwest Airlines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, and all that. Yeah, uh, the biggie. But, uh, they yeah, said, where are they flying the from? Piggy, Let's go ahead and cancel all those. Yeah. To piggyback off of you, DJ, two, the two top things I had in my notes was the wide receivers had their toughest tests of the season, mm-hmm. you know, just with the physicality, length, and athleticism of, you know, their um, the personnel lined up across from them, no matter the classification, because Terrence Brooks, as a true freshman, balled out mm-hmm. um, playing Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing was, I said <laughs> in my notes, uh, PK threw everything at Ryan Grubb, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then Ryan Grubb kind of threw everything, you know, at – uh, PK and the fact that it wasn't a high scoring game kind of showed that both kind of like landed 50 50 shots and both landed haymakers. So it was kind of cool to see. Um, but I would say, uh, kind of the hooligans point of projecting the next year, you've been able to have command um, over your offense and your offense aligned, um, having chemistry with you to be able to stop everything PK was throwing at you is impressive because he was doing a lot of simulated pressures. Um, a lot of six, seven people in the box, and you're only bringing three or four. Like, it was tough to kind of get some looks. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, to piggyback off what he was saying, uh, I thought it was an interesting cat and mouse game between Grub and PK. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, PK's, you know, he he had a safeties back, and Grub just as that he came out swinging that first quarter. He did not care. He was he was letting Penix throw that ball deep. So I can really blame the start because he didn't really allow Mike to get in the rhythm. And it took Mike to get in the, you know, it took a while for him to get in the rhythm. Once he started hitting the intermediate passing game, the short passing game, that was there all game, really, and the runs. But he was just hell-bent on <laughs> making a statement and throwing the ball deep. We literally take away – eight to nine of those deep shots and Penix is way more efficient. And I think we score more too, because those running lanes started to open up, especially on that left side. We could mm-hmm. literally utilize that left side a little bit more. I think we could have controlled the game and not got off the field as much, but um, overall, um, although it was a sloppy game, I, I definitely think you'd put the nation on notice. Um, I think our skill players made enough big plays and stood out enough against a really good defense. That's athletic. That took Alabama to the brink, TCU to the brink. Um, really good teams. Um, and so it definitely gave us an outlook on next year and uh, what we could look forward to. Yeah. Although all, <clears throat> although there were some missed shots, you know, from Texas, um, our, our defensive backfield probably played one of the better games mm-hmm. of the season, too. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of at least being in the way. Shout out to Xavier Worthy. Absolutely, man. You know, appreciate your big dog. We needed those hands. We needed Seriously. those. Hey, but with that being said, with, with Worthy, he dropped, like, what, three touchdown yeah. passes? <clears throat> well, one of them, he, they ended up scoring that drive anyways for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. The other one was twice on the same drive. Yeah, they didn't score. So, I mean, it wasn't, like, a huge difference in the in the grand scheme of things. It made it maybe, like, seven we, points. But, and we yeah. had some – we had some dropsies as well in, in some key spots. Right. So. Exactly. And to, to what you were saying, uh, Dark and I just I think it also took, you know, Mike a little bit a little bit of time to get comfortable. because um, you, you prepare for the guys up front. So you kinda mm-hmm. are trying to see you know those interior rushers got got some moves and things like that. And 
Um, and I think it took him a while to kind of get comfortable with his pass protection and get comfortable with uh, his interior offensive alignment. And you see Ryan Grubb knew the emphasis of that too by having Richard Newton and Talapape in all game, just knowing, you know, mm-hmm. he needed his two best pass protectors. And you can see oftentimes Richard Newton uh, protected really, really well for him. So I think it just took a little bit for Penix to kind of get into a groove and, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, That's a long layout on the spot. Exactly. That's a long layoff. That's what people don't don't take into account is that layoff between games. Yeah, you're practicing, but you're also allowing like your body to heal and stuff. So you're not going like balls to the wall until like that final week of preparation. So it definitely takes a while to get back in the groove of things. I'm sure they watch a lot of film, but, you know, film and then live bullets is two different things, especially having, you know, two plus weeks off. So yeah. um, and with getting but, in the. I think that's a, I was going to say, I think that's a great point. I just wanted to kind of echo and um, even, you know, agree and say yes. And um, that I think with what we saw, you know, the seven wins in a row, it's like they, this team clearly got into a rhythm and that break was disruptive to that. Um, And I also think like what we saw in terms of them starting to establish more of a running game, um, and to that point about getting comfortable with the offensive line and what they're seeing, that's going to be a big key as we look at the first part of next season. We don't have the, you know, we're not going to do a season preview for next year or early predictions because we don't know what the conference schedule in terms of the timing of what games are going to happen. But we don't have Kent State and Portland State <laughs> next year. <laughs> we have Boise State and Tulsa, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. these are world-beating teams, but this is a, a step up in class. Mm-hmm. Um and that's going to be a big key in the spring and certainly in, in fall camp is um, there's not a ton of losses that we're going to have to graduation. Um, but certainly with Jackson's departure and with Beanie's departure, the interior of the O-line interior, you know, and, yeah. and, and Corey, the interior of the O-line um, and how that shakes out. Certainly a lot of those guys have gotten experience. I think uh, Nate Kalepo got a lot of run as Jackson was getting healthy and, and certainly acquitted himself well, but uh, certainly, you know, a, a key area to look at as we look toward next season. I, d- I definitely wanted to, um, before we transition into kind of that, the new personnel and stuff like that, I wanted to shout out, you know, the best players on defense showing up. Um, and I definitely want to shout out Braylon Trice. Oh my goodness. For sure, man. Just kind of everybody saw the, the PFF metrics and stuff like that, but this was an opportunity for the, you know, college football media to see, you know, if those, if those, uh, numbers could match big time, big time game. You know, and he, he decided to show up. So I think going into the next season, he did a really, really hell of a job for himself. I would have loved to see ZTF kind of, you know, uh, kind of have, have stepped up and kind of put himself back on the map in that regard uh, just to kind of hype that edge duo up a little bit more. But um, he did well enough. We saw the emergence a little bit of, of uh, Savelle as well. So mm-hmm. making a big big player too. So just kind of seeing the edge mm-hmm. show up and show their real, as real as advertised. And, like and Boy made a nice play at the end as well. Yep, absolutely. Yep, Voy- and, um, didn't, didn't. Go ahead. There's a couple play. There's a couple plays where Thule as well, you know, made yeah. some mm-hmm. phenomenal um, um, penetration plays, chase down plays, motor plays. So, oh yeah, he started mm-hmm. to play his best football as a Husky the last For sure. six seven weeks. Yep. Yeah, season. he looked great. He was actually like a force inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really. Uh, did Did Martin not play as much as he normally did, or am I? No, he played. He, he played. played. They they did a lot of chipping and stuff to his side, though. Okay. So they left Braylon one on one, and that's what you start to see him eat. We, they, we also had were... Braylon in coverage a lot. I think they were mm-hmm. trying to showcase mm-hmm. his, 
skill set. Made a couple plays in coverage that that real third and ten stop on that screen, mm-hmm. um, a chase down play with Thule, um for like no gain. So oh yeah, they they had him all over the place. Yeah, and he split a on his first sack of the game. He split a double team of a. I think a tight end and receiver or a tight end and a running back were trying to double team him and he just lay like, nope, I'm going right through. Um Man, that's gonna be scary with Braylon. He gets some more twitch to his to his frame. Lean out a little bit more, he's gonna be a problem. That Braylon video is next up, man. That Braylon video is next up. Hey, just wait on it. Because his speed, the power he has, I mean, he has some heavy hands. When he touches the lineman, they go back (laughs) like immediately. I think we talked about it in the GC, but uh, because everybody thought that Akaika was crazy when they said, hey, you know, as good as Joe's been, Braylon's gonna be better. I think we're starting to see it, <laughs> or, or we're not starting to see it. We we see it, um, and that's no disrespect to Joe. And really quick, just to a mentality point, moving into the next season, um, I think uh, in post game, DeBoer just kind of said that um, you know they're learning how to win different ways, and they won in all types of ways this year. And you know he released some information by saying um, internally they have this refuse to lose mantra. And I felt like, you know, um, kind of moving into next season, if you are, you know, um, still implementing your culture and your buy-in and you go 11-2, I can't imagine when you have a program fired up and going on, hitting on all cylinders. So um, super, super excited with that type of being, the, that kind of being the mentality of the team. Refuse to lose, no limits. And now you're going to get your guys in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I We, we talked about it a little in the pre-show, and, and I'll say it now. Um if you're out there listening and are a fan of another team or just a Pac-12 fan in general, and somebody tells you that there's another team in this conference that's the prohibitive favorite to win the conference next year, they're full of shit. <laughs> Facts, bro. Facts. Uh, uh, you know, to, to borrow a, a phrase or, or to modify a phrase from uh, the, the old season is over, guys. Uh, Alex Grinch still coaches the defense at USC. <laughs> Yeah, man. Bro, you bet. We better see the Pac-12 this off season. You know what I'm saying? Really, really market six or seven teams heavy. We better oh, see. You ain't got no excuse not to. You got no yep. excuse not to. You know, you got wins over big brands. It doesn't matter if Florida's six and six, six and seven. You got a win. That's over where, I mean, like, I, yeah, it. I agree with you uh, completely, Hood. Because I don't care like what the, set, the circumstances are for Florida. Oregon State beating Florida is a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Pac-12 should have four teams in the top 15. Maybe five if you include Utah, but USC, They didn't Utah, deserve to be where they Oregon, ended up Oregon anyway, State. so but fuck Utah. Yeah, yeah fuck them. <laughs> the, the difference next year, so this year was like nobody on defense had the personnel to keep up with the offense and the offensive talent and the offensive minds. Um, I think next year the big differentiator between teams is going to be defensive line. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see like UW, Oregon, <clears throat> and USC kind of separate from the pack a little bit, even from Utah a little bit, because I think defensive lines is what's going to take any of these perennially Pac-12 uh, championship competing teams over to the uh, over the neck over the hump. I would say so. Mm-hmm. I would watch I out for who develops the, their defensive line better, portal people, recruits. Yeah, uh, that's, that probably kind of transitions into our next segment. Hood, do you think we need another 
interior defensive lineman in the portal, or you think we're good at where we're at? Um, I definitely think uh, a body type like Anthony Lucas, somebody that can play, you know, three or five. I think it, it allows a lot more versatility, um, you know, for us in coverage packages, pressure packages. I can't remember so often this year when we brought three people and just kind of gave our defense easy routes to squat on or things like that. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to go after somebody that can kind of be a versatile guy up front, a body type that we haven't had in a long time. Um, so we'll talk about like the, the Joe Moore stuff and, uh, but yeah, I think that's a, an obvious indicator that they're going to go after another body. Yeah, let, let's talk about it. Uh, do we want to go position by position in the class? We want to talk transfers and then high school prospects. How do we want to talk, uh, the new dogs? Uh, what about like the, just like the new signees that we haven't really covered? Um, some guys yep. we've already covered in depth, but like the new signees and then maybe the portal guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think certainly like the newest, uh, the newest commitment, um, uh, hood, you and I were watching some, some highlight tape, uh, of Dylan, uh, before we started. And, uh, I like his tape and I like what he's going to bring to the team a lot. I think you mentioned that he had one year where he had what, 65 catches or 45 catches. Uh, at Mississippi mm-hmm. State, um, certainly, like I saw a couple of games worth of highlights while we were waiting for folks to jump on. Um, really good change of direction ability, good size. I think what about six foot two fifteen. Um, saw certainly the ability to put his shoulder into people and drive them forward, uh, as well as um, punishing some people for for trying to tackle him well. It didn't end well for them uh, out on the perimeter. Um, some, I, I, I'm super excited to see what that like, and I think that's kind of the one of the big takeaways with with the passing game not clicking to the extent that it had in previous games. Mm-hmm. We leaned into the running game more in the Alamo Bowl, and with I think improvements to that room and, and a bigger commitment, we saw that over the course of the season that we got better running the football. Um, I can't wait to see this offense with the ability to hurt people on both sides of that. Um, and shouts to everybody that was a part of that this year. And, and certainly, um, I think that, you know, I think Wayne took a big step forward as the season progressed. I think Wayne was a, a vital cog and kind of a little bit an under the radar in everything that the passing game happened. Um, and, and certainly, I think he's got a great potential to end up in the league, as a, we talked about at Hood, as a, as a UDFA. Um, but Dylan Johnson, I think, is somebody I'm super excited about. Um, but what do you think? What, what have you seen? And, and that that's to everybody. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, one thing to kind of note is Wayne wasn't the running back he was at UW that he was at UVA, you know. So I'm not expecting Dylan to come in here and – be what he was at Mississippi State. So I'm just kind of when I'm peeking at games and stuff, looking at skill set, because I know he's going to come here and transition into a, a more explosive athlete, you know, because that's what happened to Wayne. Wayne was pulling away from people this year. Um, and although didn't have really flexible ankles, was definitely really, really strong. <laughs> a nice strong way to in the it. lower body. Uh, <laughs> he and, he, and he could break tackles. But now you have somebody who's flexible. Um, flexible and, ankles. Flexible. Got more of a to, to go back to a a, a, a previous uh, a previous uh, joke in the podcast. Uh, he, he, Dylan's definitely a little bit more wiggly. 
He a little wiggy. You, he a little bow. He a little bow. Yo, I, I watch his highlights and no disrespect to Wayne T because he played well, really great for us at the end of the year. But I saw Dylan Johnson, Jake Moore guys, the first two plays, and I saw Wayne T all year. And all you needed to do at that position was maintain the quality. You won 11 games with a guy with that guy. All you needed to do was maintain the quality, and now you've upgraded the level of the quality. So. It's, it's making guys miss in space. That's the name of this offense with running backs. How yeah. many times did we get running backs on flare outs or screens and they had one guy to beat to get an extra five, ten yards and they couldn't do it? It's just you got so frustrated with like, we love Cam, but then Cam does something, you know, boneheaded. And you're like, I mean, God, one person, just make a miss. They just, you just have stone feet. You couldn't, couldn't make a miss. And then Will get in there and he's a little shifty, but then he can't break through because of the lack of power. So you get a guy like Dylan who's kind of had a combination of both where he has a size to make you miss and run through you, but he also has the shiftiness to, to kind of get away from that initial tackler. So you can kind of see like what they're targeting and the type of back that they're looking for to kind of really expand the offense. And, looking... and the addition of Daniel Nada as well, mm-hmm. you know, kind of being a guy who can make somebody miss in the open field. He is an Eno Benjamin clone. Don't bring up uh, his name around Squints. Squints hates Nagata. <laughs> hey, his brother Ariel left. I get it, but that's <laughs> a lot of trust to bring somebody else back in the family in the fold, you know? But they, they also, and then just kind of speaking to other positions too on offense, man, you brought in a you know, Jeremy, um, Tayshawn, you know, players like that who can also make people miss. Tybo, mm-hmm. that can make yeah. people miss. You know, that was the priority there. Um, so, for sure, yeah, I think that was a, a huge, uh, there's an obvious emphasis on, you know, the, the type of skill sets we're looking for. And uh, just obviously throwing them in with our SNC team. We got to remember at that running back position, Lee Marks made his mark in the game as an SNC guy. So, Everybody who goes in his room gets transformed uh, physically. So, yeah, I almost wonder, like, as it comes to Nada, like, I think uh, if you're not in the the dubbed up Discord, you should be. Um, and I think Coach Coach V broke it down really well that he's a, he seems to be a different back in college than he was in high school. And I almost wonder that with some of the work that the that Coach Marks and then certainly Coach McKeefrey might do is t- is work to take some of that weight off and and free up the hips and free up a little bit more of that elusiveness. Um, that might have been lost in, shall we say, a sporadic or what the hell is going on program at Arizona State. <laughs> Gosh. Everybody party, and we know that much. <laughs> <laughs> Win, lose, lose, draw. I just like, I just, what I would say I appreciate the most about National Signing Day was there were, there were no surprises. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Somebody didn't hold out from committing or somebody didn't leave the class. I mean, other than King Holes, I was I guess that's a big one, but just thought of that. But um but yeah, I just didn't feel like there was any like huge surprises. Everything that we have kind of thought was gonna happen had happened. Um I I think the biggest surprise like we were talking about off off uh or, or pre show the mm-hmm. biggest surprise was Caleb. Um but then also kind of finding out that uh from DeBoer that they're um they're getting the majority of their haul. They're getting 13 new players by the winter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So a lot of these guys are going to get in here, Early start transforming their body. Um, all of the, the portal guys are going to be in there. 
uh, in January, and there are what I think six high school freshmen that are going to be in there uh, in January, and then three more. That's huge. In the spring. Oh yeah, and they're at need positions. Devin Bryant, Jordan Whitney, Diesel Gordon, Anthony James. Ain't no telling they're, how much they could put on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you guys are, if anybody's nervous about us going for linebacker in the portal, you know we got go forth. But you got two freshmen who have explosive speed, who have the opportunity to put on the right weight early on in the process mm-hmm. and and get their head in the playbook early on in the process. That may, you know, alleviate some of that pressure. And Austin Harden as well. Yep. Hey, you mentioned uh, a drama, mostly drama-free National Signing Day. I think that's a little opposite of what the Ducks might have had, right? <laughs> that that day was. I mean, they had some good. They had some good commits, but then that kind of choking on safety? that cigar right now, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, what was the safety to sign with Oklahoma? Peyton Bowen. What was going? Yeah. Peyton, what was yeah. going on with him? That was a wild. 24 hours for him. Oh, that's a nice little bag. They offer a little something else. You yeah. know what I'm Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that that little rumor that's going that went around that uh, Oregon was offering him like two and a half million dollars, but then he oh, reached yeah. out to like a current Oregon player and was like, "Did you get all your money?" They're like, "Nope." It's like, "All right, well, I'm I'm backing out my commitment. I'm going going to Oklahoma." And I'm also I'm bags. also going to use I'm also going to use an opportunity as well to put it on record like we need to embrace the fact that Lincoln Keenholz went on camera and said that UW has a better NIL than Ohio State like and he didn't say they have a better pay for play program he said they have better NIL which means they have better tangible infrastructure for him to make money while he's on campus whether he's playing or not so I think we should use our platform for sure to big up UW and big up their NIL um, and listen to what these kids are saying in regards to that stuff um, a lot of people laughed at it and were like, oh, we, Amen. yeah, we got to big that up, man. The one thing that we've not done is marketed our brand. When mm-hmm. we get wins, we don't run to the bank with them. You know, while everybody else, they have these big brands because they run to the bank with, with L's. So we got to start transitioning and, and uh, taking our doves head on. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. We got to shift that mindset. I think it's a mindset thing too, where. You feel like you almost don't need to, but then you look around the country and be like, just how much more, uh, you know, media attention will we receive if we're able to really blow that, you know, blow that up and let the world know. And, you know, obviously the country knows just how great our NIL is and who our partners are and what we do for our athletes. And that's I think we know as a small community, but to really put it out there in the country for, you know, I get it. We're starting to recruit nationally in different areas that we're not normally known to recruit in, but to really push that so they know, you know what I mean, where we're coming from. Yep. And that's the challenge. I think that's going to be the town of Simon challenge to, to all Husky fans and our, and our listeners and people that follow us on Twitter, like two or three times a day, do something to amplify the message from the university of Washington, whether that's something that the university officially itself tweets or one of us, you know, out on Husky Twitter, you know, there's, there's a huge community of us that are just great, you know, that have great, great ideas, funny, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll say funny shit to each other, but like when things are happening and when we get those wins, let's just amplify it to the, you know, let's spinal tap it, turn it all the way up to 11. And, and to piggyback off of that sentiment, man, for sure. Uh, with obviously the little drip, drip Olympics thing, you know, it, <laughs> it has a ton, a ton of engagement, but 
um, it, it just shows that you can engage a lot of your fans without talking about a different team or talking about mm-hmm. someone else and also educating your fan base on some of these players. Can you imagine how many of the old people and the new and the younger people had to go Google who the other people were? So like you just kind of exposing people to different players and things like that. So just tying in generations of, uh, of, you know, Husky fans and things like that. So yep. just piggybacking off of that. Absolutely. You know, and, and speaking, you know, to get back to the, to the transfer class, you know, welcome back, Jeremy. Uh, great to have you back uh, on Montlake. Can't wait to see your impact in this offense. Um, uh, but uh, I think we've talked about Jeremy a little bit before. Not, I'm, I'm not trying to slight him, but I think we, we covered his signing day uh, a year or so ago. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Jabbar Muhammad, a transfer corner out of uh, Oklahoma State. Um, and I do think it is something nice that 24-7 is doing that they are doing uh, on the, the signing pages or the commitment pages, not only high school ranking, um, but as a transfer uh, and Jabbar is a, uh, a 90 overall four-star uh, corner coming in from Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty obvious we, we needed to replace our, our field corner, um, elevate the play um, over there as well. Somebody that can get their hands on the ball um, and plays aggressive. Um, um, so I, I think uh, it, we, we, we went uh, to, to a smaller guy for that. Um, I don't know if they specifically went after the body type or they went after a specific skill set, but he's a little bit smaller than Perriman out there. Um, but I love what I saw from his, his uh, from a skill set standpoint. He's quick, got solid footwork. I'm um, going to come in here and probably get better uh, for sure just because of the pedigree here. Um, one thing I would say that I did see that I, I would love to see improve would just be with that size, the tackling, um, just got to get a little bit more physical um, at the catch point and things like that. But I think, you know, the, the pedigree of RDBs and, the, the physicality that we play with and the mindset that we have here that he'll naturally adjust to the purple and gold in regards to that. So, um, so a lot of good things from him. Um, but I also just, like I mentioned, man, you got a lot of these kids coming in early. I wouldn't be surprised if players like Leroy Bryant or um, Diesel Gordon or Curly Reed found their ways into the lineups as well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the staff showed this year that they're not, has they're, they're not afraid of putting, a, you know, putting a freshman in the fire. No, what I love about him, uh, I you know watched a fair share of Big Twelve games, but I love his competitiveness and his awareness on the field. He's never out of position, and he he'll compete. He doesn't care how big the receiver is or who he's going against. He he competes. He'll get in your face. He'll wolf. He'll clap. You know what I mean? Like he does all the things you want like a leader to do on defense. Um, and I think he drew a lot of praise from his teammates in that way. And he's also versatile. He plays special teams. He can return kicks, punts. Um, he definitely has some wiggle in the open field too. So um, he definitely has some versatility. Um, so I'm curious how we're gonna how we're gonna use him and uh, where he aligns with the guys that are coming in as well. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and and I will say I was remiss. Uh, we did skip one of the. The more recent commits, uh, whose commitment date was the 16th of December, but let's talk a little bit about Tayshawn. Tayshawn. Tennyson down in Hayward, California. Uh, four star, uh, 91 overall, uh, 30th uh, ranked receiver in the country um, at, at six, two and a half, and 165. You know, we, we, we were talking about making, you know, 
somebody missing the open field. You know, mm. These are these types of guys that we're trying <laughs> the, to go after. The, the, the second the second highlight on his senior highlight tape uh, is making an entire defense miss in the open <laughs> field. He is pinned to, I, I had a reaction to it because I was watching it in, in the pre-show. Um, he looked to be pinned on the sideline by about eight people and cut it back and scored on, in the opposite corner. Um, yeah, that that's sufficient wiggle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, like you say, explosive receiver with the ball in his hands. Uh, really good ball skills. Uh, really competes for the ball as well. Uh, seems fiery. Uh, at the same time, you can tell he's a little cocky. He has a little swag to him on the field. Um, not afraid to talk <laughs> shit about the Ducks. Not, a, not afraid already. to talk to talk and walk to walk too. So, um, Nah, I love the kids' competitiveness. Like I said, another versatile kid who can play special teams. Um, was a punt returner. I know he averaged like 21 yards a catch as well as senior. So um, looking forward to what he could do on Montlake with some development, especially in that room that's filled with dogs. And the biggest, oh, yeah. and the biggest confidence booster in the world, Jamarcus Shepard. <laughs> but when this yeah. kid puts puts his foot in the ground, good night. Like he yeah, has, if we didn't, yes, if we didn't have speed, the depth speed. that we have right now, like he can come play right away. But oh, I think he still can. Uh, <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah, he he's pretty good. Uh, do At you think we four games? Is he going to sign? He, he hasn't signed yet, has he? he did. Yeah, he signed. He did. Yeah. Yeah, I think he just did it quiet. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, did they announce it? It's not. Re- it's not reported though. Yeah, I don't think it's reported. He signed. It's uh, it yeah. Yeah. Two sixteen. He didn't, nah, but he didn't. Or he taught Leonard for 10. Yeah, I don't think he signed. So I think he's waiting for the next period to sign. I think, you know. Why didn't he sign? I don't know. I think, to be honest, man, he reached, we saw he had, uh, first of all, he he waited after the summer uh, situation. And then right uh, right before he committed to us, Dion made his move, and you saw him solicit his services to Dion as well. So I think he just kind of still feels Just doing his due diligence. Yeah, I feel like he's just trying to reach out to find different spots and things like that, you know. That's the unknown. No one knows what the Colorado offense is going to look like. I mean, you can look at Jackson State, but you don't know what that is well, going to transition at, to, like, at the Pac-12 level. You know what I, I mean? mean, you can look at Kent State, though. I mean, they hired yeah. the head coach at Kent State, who's really good. So, I mean, just as good as any of these other OCs they've hired in the conference so yeah i mean it could come down to playing time i mean he definitely exactly. had a better chance of playing early at colorado than what did you did so we'll see you never That's know what, what, kids thought, yeah. what 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 it's going to come down to i know he really likes grub and the boar and he had a really good rapport with our receiver room um so we'll see i'm hoping yep. he, and, he stays uh, yeah and last but certainly not least in terms of the new high school commits uh a, a hometown hero hometown husky uh, from a high school that basically, if there's a D1 caliber athlete, they should not go anywhere but the University of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and to be clear, I'm putting that responsibility on the University of Washington <laughs> to market themselves and make themselves clearly the best option. And that is Caleb Presley from Rainier Beach, uh, six foot, 180 pound corner, uh, 93 overall four star. Uh, 19th ranked corner in the country and the number one prospect uh, overall in the state of Washington uh, for 2023. Welcome, Caleb. 
Welcome, Big Dog South End King is what they called it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Ski. South End King. Oh, yeah, man. Obviously, got to love it for, for what it means off the field for sure, too. Not only just him, but EJ as well. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, man, it meant a lot. Um, obviously, also the momentum it means from snagging them from uh, the team down south um, and the last DB that did that. You know, so I think that meant a lot to him. But just what you're getting in a player, you know, just his attitude on the field, his competitive nature, um, his natural instincts, and then also the will to want to be great. He's got a lot of greats coming out of the program, um, FSP, that are that are ahead of him, that want to see him do great. And I think he's going to put his head down and get to work. So um, brings in a nice athletic profile already. Kind of hit the weights a little different, you know what I'm saying? But he's, he's a little skinny. But, uh, yeah, man, I think he's got an opportunity to come in and, Contribute early. Yeah, I think what stands out about a lot about him is his awareness. Um, always around the ball, always finds a way. <laughs> the ball just ends up in his hands. Uh, whether it's a scoop and score, pick six, um, really good at uh, just get you know just being a pest of the receivers and deflecting the ball as well. <clears throat> um, really good athlete. Um, I think he's an underrated athlete. Um, because he plays almost like the game is too easy, so folks really don't know how explosive he really is because he turns it on and off kind of as as needed. Uh, but the game seems easy to him, and it comes easy to him, and those are typically the uh, the players you, you find that you want to coach and um, that can make a real transition at the next level. Yep. Uh, and then uh, a commit to kind of split the difference between high school and a, a transfer um, that I know I think both of you mentioned in the pre-show that you wanted to talk about and, and liked, uh, and that is uh, Thaddeus Dixon out of Long Beach City College uh, down in Long Beach, California, another corner. Um, I think of the JUCOs, I think he's the seventh-ranked JUCO corner in the country, uh, a three-star at 86 uh, at a .86 overall. But um, I haven't had a chance to watch the tape, but uh, those of you who have, take it away. You want to go ahead? Or you want me to go? You can go ahead, bro. Go ahead. He's going to come in and be one of the fastest guys on the team. I'll just tell you that right now. He does not lack uh, competitiveness. Uh, he will get in your face because he trusts his speed. Um, he has really, really good technique for someone coming out of JUCO ranks. You could tell he's he's a polished uh, athlete. Um, so I expect him to come in and compete for a starting spot right away. Um, really fluid. And he has really, really, really good ball skills as well. So it's easy to see why he was All-American. I definitely see he's a complete player for sure. Yeah, man, that's what I saw too. I saw A-plus athleticism, um, that competitive nature, um, and then the ball skills as well. It kind of rings through the tone of all of our DBs that we got in this class. Um, but uh, there's just something, you know, when you just when you talk about that eye test, you talk about the if factor, and you kind of can see that in Dixon. Um, also, too, the way that his peers responded to him um, committing to the University of Washington, you can mm-hmm. tell that he has high pedigree, um, just maybe slipping through some cracks due to other things. So, um, yeah, now at UW, getting the opportunity, I think you also up your level of play when you go to when you go play at a place like UW, LSU, Florida State, when you're a DB, you know, you just up your ante. So I think he has the platform to be able to showcase his ability. Um and obviously the network and support to do the same thing. So 
<clears throat> I think I literally think he could be one of the gems of this class. He was just I agree. He was just really underrated. I completely agree. A Devon Banks kind of situation mm-hmm. in regards to kind of a Missy Vowed kid, um, for whatever reason. But then also too, you, you know, coming from an area and coming and playing out of JUCO where you need to have some confidence, you know what I'm saying, to be successful. So oh yeah. That that room for what it lacked last year in regards to depth, um and high end depth. You know, we can if we have eight different um, DB groups out there for the first eight weeks next year. Oh well, that's gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. Somebody's gonna pop up and be a star, a full time starter now. So it, the DB uh, room might be my favorite room in the class. Oh yeah, like there's so much across so many rooms that I really like. Because you you look at that room, I mean, you think of fiery guys, you think of Mish and Dom, but now you got guys coming in that are bringing that same type of intensity it's not a bunch of quiet dudes just kind of doing their job it's a bunch of dudes that are going to make plays and be loud about making plays so just at that their, picture yeah they, they were alphas at their high school programs mm-hmm. at their juco's things like that even zach durfee you know what i'm saying like he had similar kind of hype around him once he committed all of his peers all the people around him all the coaches around him were like let's go you made it out zach you know what I mean? Like, cause he was a diamond in the rough, essentially. Like they had that energy around him. So it's just, it's all, that's also kind of ringing true as a tradition too, of you really always having these player personnel guys who have this ability to go out there and find potential stars, um, you know, that aren't on anybody else's radar. So. Yeah. I'll say this uh, about the, the DB class coming in. I haven't seen the, the one you guys just talking about, forgot forgot his name from the community college or JC. Uh, but six, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other ones I've seen, man, they're like I think they're ranked twenty eighth and thirtieth or something. DBs in the class, they're either severely underrated or <laughs> the the DB class this coming year for all college is amazing, which I haven't seen all the other ones. But I'm taking they're more likely to be underrated. Uh, yeah, I like these guys coming in, and yeah, I mean, like like Hood said, if if some of them get some opportunities early, hey, watch out. They might take a position if they if they get that chance. Something as well, too, that I I mean, I, I think we might have covered, but just a, about an old commit. I could have sworn Diesel Gordon was a corner. You know what I mean? But he's coming in early Janu- early, uh, early in January and playing safety. So um, with that size, those ball skills, his athleticism, getting in there early and his pedigree and his physical nature, at safety, um, he can be a problem. You match him and Tristan in a couple of years, and it might be problems. So, one of my favorite names in this class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and moving on to a new addition in the tight end room out of uh, Cal Poly, six five two, hundred and forty five pounds, uh, another four star, ninety overall, uh, tight end Josh Cuevas. Uh Certainly. Uh, Great, basically prototypical size. Um, what do you guys think? I think to what you said, just prototypical size. Um, also kind of up in the athleticism in the room, you know what I mean, and experience. You need a guy who can kind of, you know, catch those uh, balls over the over the ball. Um, so um, we haven't necessarily had that consistent consistency there um, in making plays after the catch. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you also have to account for attrition as well. And we've and we lost a body in the room, so um, you know you lose a body in the room that wasn't contributing. Let's go ahead and add a body in the room that can contribute. So I think whenever you have an opportunity to level up your roster, you do so. And if it's a guy with fifty career catches, um, I'll take that. 
for sure. Yeah, I think it's a, I mean, he has a really natural field. Uh, I really like his short area quickness and uh, able to separate, especially against the backers and safeties. And he has really na- uh, natural hands as well. Um, I think he's going to be, he fits really well in this offense. Um, with just his, just the way we're able to flex out a tight end, tight ends to kind of isolate him. Yep. He found, and one thing too, like there's a knack that Rome has just finding his way open and feeling his way open. And I think Josh Clavis has that as well. Like, you know, on, on a lot of his targets and even when he's not targeted, you can see he's just, he's open. He has a feel for timing, feel for like zone mm-hmm. holes and things like that feels for leverage and man. So he just kind of finds himself open a lot. And I think uh, that knack is going to really, really um, help, you know, be a security blanket for, for Mike. Uh, moving on to, uh, uh, and I don't remember if we talked about it at length uh, in a previous podcast, uh, but certainly we've talked a little bit about him in, across the GCs. Um, uh, based on the Cam Rising hit and uh, the way he brings it, uh, <laughs> this guy is an Im- can, can be definitively titled an impact player. Uh, <laughs> Literally. Really, <laughs> uh, deep impact. <laughs> um, bring, you know, uh, Pile driving, <laughs> like that was just holy shit uh, hit against Cam Rising in the conference championship game. Uh, that's Raylan Goforth out of uh, John Bosco. Uh, got one year of eligibility left, uh, a three-star uh, at 88 overall, um, according to the 24-7 transfer rankings. But, uh, yeah, what do you guys think? I mean, the kid is, <laughs> is explosive, as we as we know. Uh He's it's the thing. He's a headhunter. He's a they call him like a hammer. I mean, he when he comes forward, you go backward. Um, really, really good against the run. Um, uh, I think it would be interesting to see how we use him um, on known passing downs because um, I know towards the end of the year USC kind of took him off the field um, just because of, laterally he just wasn't as good, but. Um, when he decides and he sees and he hits, the, he hits you with the ball, I mean, you definitely feel it. And I'm sure Cam Rising is still looking at his highlights, wondering what the hell just happened. He damn near hit the mustache off him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I basically agree. Uh, what I'll say is, um, you know, to the Wayne Talapapa and Dylan Johnson comparisons, um, where it's like, you know, all you had to do was replace the same guy and you upgraded. I think you had to replace Cam Bright and you upgraded. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you get a guy um, who's you know known to be a little bit of a better tackler, um, kind of is a little bit faster downhill. Um, and just a little also bigger, has, I think. A little bigger, bigger yeah. and also has those West Coast ties, you know, where he's probably going to you know play around his family and friends and things like that. You know, a lot of Bosco love and things like that. So, um, yeah, I really, really like the addition there. Um, and um, for those kind of curious about are we going to grab – another uh, linebacker to put in that room because um, you're losing somebody like Mole and yeah, Haimuli, like but Mole. like Mole and Haimuli, but you know, you do get a healthy Eddie back. And then also too, like I said, you know, you got Devin Bryan and Jordan Whitney coming in. I think they're already on campus. So, yeah. um, you know, those That's are two point. dudes who are going to kind of get in early um, into still the process. Carson Bruner. And obviously, yeah, yeah. So you still got Carson Bruner, you got Austin Hardnell, you got Drew Fowler. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of guys back there that can make plays. Um, Talapapa, obviously, but uh, I'm just saying, like, in regards to replacing somebody like Mole in the yep. portal, 
um, you may be able to rely on a body you already have there um, to give yep. somebody like maybe Austin Hartnell that scholarship instead of someone else. So, yeah. And then finally of the, uh, of the transfers that I don't think we've talked about uh, out of, uh, I believe the university of Sioux Falls uh, and that's Zach Durfee, who is six five two fifty uh, edge player. I'm just I'm gonna really like reserve these like high end comparisons f- with him because he looks like a very high end player. Um, so I want to really like rein in how I feel about Zach a little bit, but when it comes to just hand usage, that power game, um, mm-hmm. I kind of told you guys like. I think Eric Schmidt has a type. Um, he reminds me, obviously, of tryout already, where you just play with powerful hands and powerful leverage at six three six four, um, two sixty. You know, so well, I think he comes in and and kind of fits that Eric Schmidt, um, you know, build, uh, or mold. So um, and obviously, obviously, has a motor as well. Don't don't want to have to coach that. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing too that you guys will see um, in, in regards to the. Braylon once a lot more film comes out on him and isn't draft analysis, but you'll see like this burst and this closing speed. Um, Durfee has that as well. Once he has you within a five yard um, kind of grasp or eyesight, it's, it's big time closing speed. So like that about him as well. Huge frame. Oh yeah. When I, when I look at him on film, I mean, kind of remind me of like a young Jared Allen mm-hmm. um, with his motor. Um, Really good hand usage, um, convert speed to power, and like like Hood said, he closes really well in short spaces. I'm curious how he develops and what else he can add to his bag once he's around, you know, ZTF and Braylon. So uh, I think it's a really good get. Another underrated guy from Minnesota uh, originally. So uh, we're really it's, it's crazy how we have those Midwest ties. Somehow, some way, we're finding guys uh, mm-hmm. to come aboard too. So. Um, excited to see him on campus and see what we can do to that frame. Like CP had CP always used his low level connections to be like, Oh yeah, there's an athlete in Idaho. Oh yeah. There's an athlete in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Yep. Oh, he wrestled too. You know, so he's yep. always kind of been able to find those and use his old school connects as well. But this is, I, I think it, it's yet another feather in the cap of Courtney Morgan, the, the inroads that we're making and, and like, uh, Without naming programs, uh, to name names, uh, but if I were a prog- another program in the Pac-10, any other program in the Pac-12 conference, that what we've seen with what this staff did uh, in turning around from four and eight to eleven and two with a win over uh, <clears throat> the richest in terms of revenue generation, the richest program in the sport, uh, unquestionably a blue blood in Texas, uh, and you say Washington, who has historically basically almost exclusively relied on Washington and California building a national footprint. And then you got Lincoln Keenhold saying things like Washington's NIL is better than Ohio state. Uh, if I was a program in this conference or a program in the country to some extent, or, you know, anybody outside of the blue bloods or the, the recent national championships that are champions that are just under the tier the, that the Auburn's, the Clemson's of the world, I'd be worried about the University of Washington right now <laughs> if, we're, if we're starting to pull kids out of Texas and Louisiana and Minnesota where we've never recruited in the past. And that was before we went out and put together an 11-win season. And um, it's and it's how you're, you're it's it's how you're beating them too. Like, 
you're 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 matching their strengths and basically saying we can beat you at your own game. Like we bullied a really really good front on offense and defense, specifically our offensive line. You know what I mean? They got two in- interior defensive linemen that are potential draft picks. Um, and now I get why over I get Overshawn wasn't in the game, but you know they still got a ton ton of athletes out there and guys that are bendy and athletic. So um, for them to be kind of shut down as well. And as good as as and as good as Bijan and Rashawn are, that's still a very tech, talented offensive line and talent, and they have talented running backs behind those guys. And yeah, we dominated. You look at our running, what we produced in the running game versus what they produced in the running game. It's not a competition. Oh yeah, yeah. Just leveling, just leveling up in personnel, and then like I've kind of mentioned already, just you know, how, how quick the turnover was, you know, we got 13 new bodies in already, you know what I'm saying? How quick the turnover was, how early a lot of these guys that are going to, that want to be early contributors are getting into the program already, um, getting acclimated to everything up here. So, oh yeah, man, I think, uh, that that's a unique situation. I think this staff has got everything, uh, firing on all cylinders for sure. All right. Anything else that we want to chat about, or should we call it a night? I think that's all, Ski Man. Mm-hmm. I see. All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, I know this is a long one. Um, we've talked in this episode about a uh, thing. We, we've had an appearance from UW to talk about women's basketball and some things going on with Olympic sports. We've recapped the Alamo Bowl. We've talked signing day. We'll be back soon uh, to talk more dogs. Uh, we have another signing day coming up in about a month. Uh, and as news breaks, we'll try and be pretty consistent going forward for at least the next couple of months. Uh, and then we might go a little quiet as we get into the spring and summer. But thanks for listening. Go dogs. Go dogs, baby. Go dogs. Yes, sir.